Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, to First Samuel, chapter 7. First, cham- First Samuel, chapter 7. <clears throat> we'll be looking here, and we'll be looking in some other passages. Ebenezer Scrooge. You all familiar with him? I'm not going to ask you if you're married to him. Ha ha. Yeah. Ebenezer Scrooge was a wretched miser who became a generous benefactor in Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol. I like that movie. I don't like the original. I prefer the George C. Scott uh, take on it. But my favorite rendition of A Christmas Carol is by the Muppets. I really enjoy the Muppets Christmas Carol. I watch it several times during the holiday season, much to the chagrin of Nancy, who wishes it would just go away. This morning I want you to consider another Ebenezer who's not a fictional character. He serves as a reminder of God's grace and love and mercy. And he is, for many people, the turning point in their life. He serves as a memorial to the Lord, a living memorial to the Lord in many people's lives. The word Ebenezer occurs three times in the Bible, all three times in 1 Samuel. In chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse 1, Ebenezer was a place, a town, but not really a town, a place between two other towns where the children of Israel, the army of Israel, faced the army of the Philistines. It was about two hours north of Jerusalem where uh, these two armies met together for battle. Israel and the Philistines fought three such battles in this place. The first two, Israel lost. Soundly lost. They lost a total of 34,000 soldiers in these battles. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons, the wicked sons of Eli the priest, were killed in these battles. The Ark of the Covenant 
the sacred chest that represented the presence of God was captured by the Philistines and taken to uh, the temple of Dagon, their god. These first two battles were a humiliating defeat for the children of Israel because having the Ark of the Covenant with them when they faced the enemy they were assured of victory but not this time and not the second time. Why? Why did such a turn of events take place in the life of the army of the people of God. The reason for their loss was sin. Sin. They had turned away from God by worshiping idols. You know what an idol is? You know what an idol was in the Old Testament? What it was in the New Testament? And what it is today? Idols are monuments to demons. Idols are monuments to devils and to demons. They enslave the heart and the mind and the soul of an individual. And they ruin a person's life. Those who worship them. Those who bow down to them. God warned Israel many, many, many times of the dangers of worshiping idols. And yet we find in the course of Israel's history, they came back again to these idols, to the Asherah, to the Baal, and to a number of other idols that Israel incorporated in their worship. God had not only warned them that such appreciation for these demonic idols would ruin their lives, but he also told them that he would punish them for their sin of idolatry. And God was true to his word. Israel, in sin, faced the Philistine army twice and soundly defeated. When we sin against God, our fellowship with God is broken. We need to make this clear. We need to be reminded of this again and again and again. No individual sins unto himself. No individual sins in his own privacy, in his own closet, in his own place of secrecy. Sin is an affront to God. Sin opens our life to the evils that Satan would want to bring into our lives. And for the sole purpose of ruining our lives, to turn us away from God and to ruin our lives. Sin is never God's desire, nor is it God's design for us. But it is our choice. Keep your thumb at 1 Samuel 7 and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1.
Beginning at verse 18, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. You have the knowledge and the understanding of God in your heart, in your conscience. Every individual does. Every person is born with that consciousness of God. For since the creation of the world, verse 20, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, what? They did not honor God. They did not honor him as God. That's a choice. They know about him by the witness that he has given to them in their consciousness. They know about him through the design of creation all around us, and yet they choose not to honor him or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. That's a choice to exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That's idolatry. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Again, that's a choice. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Sin is more than just rejecting the moral principles of God. It is an attitude of ingratitude that stirs up the desire within a person to live independently from God. Thank you, God, for giving me life. I'll take it from here. I'll make my own decisions. I'll go my own way. I'll chart my own course. I'll set my own goals. I'll be what I want to be. I'll do what I want to do. Sin is the desire and the steps that a person takes to live independently from God. It's not just disobeying the commandments. It's a total and complete disregard for God in a person's life. And it always brings negative, even devastating consequences into a person's life. The prophet Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, If you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. If you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. Think with me about Old Testament Israel. Israel's history was one of ebb and flow. Was it not? On again, off again. Success, failure. Theirs was an existence of constant inconsistency. Constant inconsistency, a continual cycle repeating itself but getting them nowhere. 
Now why is that? Why was that? God had called Israel out of the world to be his chosen people. He gave them his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his precepts, that they might be a living testimony to the nations that God is a gracious God, a merciful God, a loving God, a saving God, a redeeming God. But their history proved that they didn't take God's calling seriously. And they didn't take God's calling seriously because they didn't take God seriously. And so here, in 1 Samuel, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, Israel faced the Philistines and they were soundly defeated. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 7, the army of Israel found itself in the same place, facing the same enemy. Their first two encounters ended, as I stated, in humiliating defeat. What hope was there of any success the third time? Samuel the prophet, he gathered the people together. Look at verse 3, 1 Samuel 7 and verse 3. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, and notice, if, biggest little word in human language, if, if you re return to the Lord with all your heart, if you remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel called the people to repent of their sin of idolatry. He called them to pray the prayer of repentance. He called them to consecrate themselves once again to the Lord. And they did so. Look verses 9 through 11. And Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. He called them to consecrate themselves. He called them to repentance. And he offered a sacrifice to the Lord God that he might be appeased of his wrath and his anger toward the children of Israel for their sin of idolatry. God answered. And Israel was able to defeat the armies of the Philistines. Samuel then marked the place by setting up 
and Ebenezer. Verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone. Circle that. Make a note of that. Samuel took a stone. And he set it up. Set it between Mizpah and Shane. And named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. This Ebenezer was a stone, a, remo- a memorial to remind Israel of the consequences of sin because they had been at that place three times now. They had been at that place. And every time they were at that place, it reminded them of being defeated by the Philistines. And the, re- re- the, re- uh, the basis for that, the reason why they were defeated, was because of their sin. But it also was set up as a touchstone of thanksgiving for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness that would allow them to win the battle over their enemies. Everyone should have an Ebenezer in his life. Everyone should have an Ebenezer in his life. An Ebenezer to remind them of where they've been. To remind them where they are now. And to remind them where they're going. An Ebenezer. To remind us where we have been. Our past. To remind us of our situation in the present day. To remind us of the future. And where we are eventually headed. I want you to look back over your life for a moment. Think back over your life. What has your life been over the years? What roads have you traveled in the days of your life? No doubt you've enjoyed success and you've suffered setbacks. I'm sure you've faced difficult times with confidence and with conviction but you've also faced difficult times with fear and trepidation. I'm sure all of us have spent some time on the mountaintops and we've also spent time in the deep valleys of life. Is that the nature of life or is that the nature of man? That we would live a life of such ebb and flow like the children of Israel advancements setbacks we're here today because of the plan and the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ that's why we exist we're here to fulfill his will and to fill up his purpose in life He came from the throne room of God on high, clothed himself in human flesh, walked among us in sinless perfection, offered his body as a sacrifice for sin, was buried, resurrected from the dead, and has ascended on high as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Samuel set up 
a rock and Ebenezer to remind the children of Israel that their life was to be focused on God. Dear friends, Jesus Christ is our Ebenezer. He is our rock of help. That's what the name Ebenezer means. He is our rock of help. God has raised him up to help us in our time of need. And the greatest need that we have, that wherein He can help us, is the need to know Him, whom to know is eternal life. He has defeated the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people on the cross of Calvary. When Noah passed through the great flood, listen, when Noah passed through the great flood, he raised up an altar of stones as a memorial of thankfulness to the Lord who saved him and his family from the great flood. When Isaac was saved from sacrificial death, Abraham built an altar of stones and sacrificed a ram as a memorial to the Lord for his grace and for his mercy. When God appeared to Jacob in a dream late one night and affirmed his covenant with Abraham and extended that covenant to Jacob and to his family. Jacob took the rock that he used for a pillow, anointed it with oil as a memorial to God for his promises. When Israel crossed the Jordan River and into the promised land, Joshua took 12 stones from the riverbed and set them up as a memorial to the Lord for guiding them safely through the wilderness of Sinai. Samuel raised an Ebenezer, a rock of help, to remind Israel of God's grace, love, and mercy, to forgive them of sin, and to defeat their army. The saga of the stone. When Jesus was crucified, he was buried in a rock-hewn tomb. On the third day after his crucifixion, the stone that blocked the entrance to the tomb was removed. And he came out of death, the resurrected Lord and Savior. He is our Ebenezer. He is our rock of help, our chief cornerstone in faith. Look back over the times and the places in your life. Have you made the Lord your Ebenezer, your rock of remembrance, your rock of help? I dare say, dear friends, that for those occasions that we remember where we were defeated, those occasions when we were thrown down, those occasions when we succumbed to the pressures of this life, we did not look to the rock of our salvation. We did not remember Jesus Christ, our Ebenezer. But then there is the Ebenezer that reveals where we are today. The Ebenezer that reveals where we are today. Samuel stood before Israel and he offered a sacrifice of repentance and sin 
repentance of sin and faith toward God. But the Philistines, according to the text, the Philistines were encamped some distance away, ready to crush the Israel, the army of Israel once again. But once the lamb was offered as a sacrifice, I hope you noted that in the text as Pastor Chris was reading it, once the lamb was offered as a sacrifice, once the people cried out to the Lord in repentance and faith, once they consecrated themselves wholly to the Lord and they got rid of their idols, God answered them with victory over the Philistine army. We're here in this place today. We're here to offer the Lord Jesus Christ our sacrifice of praise. We're here to reaffirm our faith in Him and to express our thankfulness to Him for His free gift of salvation to us. We're here to pray to the rock of our help for His wisdom and for His strength because the enemy is outside waiting to do battle with us once again. Ephesians chapter 6. Look there with me if you will. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 10, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, methodes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. What are the schemes, the methodes, the schemes, the methods, the strategies that Satan uses against us today? In the days of ancient Israel, it was usually an army from Moab, an army from Ammon, an army from Syria, an army from Philistia. What are the schemes and the plans and the methods that Satan attacks us with today? Political corruption, confusion and wrangling, Racial strife, economic upheaval, governmental shutdown, restrictions, confinements, threats of violence, diseases, death. We're facing those things today, aren't we? And all too often, dear friends, as we're facing these things, rather than holding hope that God will answer, we get frustrated. We become fearful. We get angry. We lose hope that God can or God will do anything at all. Our government is too powerful. 
God can't contend with Washington or Sacramento. We're too far down the road for God to intervene. Listen, friends, all that we're suffering from today, all that we're facing today, these things are not unprecedented. The American people and peoples in other countries and other lands have gone through such things before. They're not unheard of, but they are unique to this generation. What do we do? How do we cope? What can be our hope? What can be our salvation? What can be our strength in the strange days that we're living in? Listen, every time Noah saw that altar of stone, every time the children of Israel walked past that stone Ebenezer, every time people walked by that monument of stone on the banks of the Jordan River, they remembered what God had done in their past to get them through difficult times. They remembered the God of yesterday and they were inspired to embrace Him as the God of today. Listen, times change, don't they? Times change. It was only yesterday that I was a teenager. I had brown hair. I was a hundred pounds lighter. I didn't wear glasses. I didn't have a heart condition. I didn't suffer diabetes. Times change. And we change with the times, do we not? We grow older. We learn to adapt to the changes in our bodies, the changes in our mind the changes in society, changes in our culture, but our God never changes. Our God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What we face today does upset us. It upsets me. But we know what it's all about. We read about that in Ephesians 6. We know what's going on. We know who's pulling the strings behind the scenes. We cannot afford to be disheartened, depressed, or discouraged because our God reigns. His people are greater than the armies of Satan. The army of Israel was no match for the Philistine army. They were outnumbered. They were outclassed. And at this point in time in 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1, when Samuel brought them together to repent of sin and to consecrate themselves and to worship the Lord, they were unarmed. They had nothing to fight the Philistine army with. They were there to worship. But the enemy was right outside the door waiting to attack. And yet, based upon their consecration, based upon their repentance, based upon their returning to the Lord, they won the victory. Rather, God won the victory through them. He defeated his enemy through his people. Listen, can we ruin 
Can we ruin the methods of Satan that he uses against us today? Can we defeat those whom Satan uses to stand in opposition to the church of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? Can we overcome the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places that stand against us? Can we do those things? Absolutely not. But God can. And God has, through His Son, who died upon a cross so many years ago. His enemies and our enemies were defeated when Jesus cried out, It is finished. Not only was the sin debt paid in full through His shed blood, but the power of Satan and his minions, that power was broken. And God will continue to defeat the enemy through those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Beloved, fear has paralyzed many of us. It has paralyzed many of us from living for Jesus. From being a witness for Jesus. We hear the voice of the roaring lion and we shrink back. But we need to hear once more the voice of the prophet who cried out, Thus saith the Lord. We need to hear once more the voice of the apostle who said, Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the devil in the evil day, having done everything to stand. This is where we're at today. And just like sin is a choice, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ is a choice. What about the Ebenezer that reassures us of where we're going? What about the Ebenezer that gives us confidence for our tomorrows? Again, that Ebenezer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us confidence. He gives us bold assurance. No matter what the days may hold for us, God has raised him up as our rock of help. The stone has been rolled away from the tomb, and the tomb stands empty. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. In Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. 
I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever our tomorrows may hold, Jesus continues to invite us to come to him and find in him the rest that we need, the security that we need, the assurance that we need, the hope that we need to live through uncertain days. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 through 26, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruit, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father. For he, has, he will abolish all rule and all authority and power. He will abolish all rule, all authority, and all power, for he will reign until he has put his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be defeated is death. Satan's biggest threat is the last enemy that Jesus Christ will conquer. So we have nothing to fear. We really don't have anything to fear. Jesus is in control of our future. He said, God has, the Father has turned everything over to me. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, the position of sovereign authority. God has given to him rule over all creation. His sovereign will and purpose will be fulfilled despite the threats and the intimidation of Satan and anyone that Satan uses to defeat God's people. One final thought. The Ebenezer that God has raised up for us, this Jesus Christ who died, who was buried, who was resurrected, and who has ascended to the Father on high. Listen, he's coming back. He's coming back. To the disciples, the angels said in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you in heaven will come again in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. His next appearing will be in the skies to receive his church out of the earth. Then will come seven days of horrific tribulation followed by the return of the Lord and his church to establish his millennial kingdom on the earth. But until that time, whatever Satan throws at us, whatever the servants of Satan throw at us, we have our marching orders. Jesus gave them to us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. As you go, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to prepare people for the coming Jesus Christ. We are to prepare people to greet him when he appears in the cloud to take us out of the earth. Why is this an assurance 
for us, we are assured of his return. That's one of the great hopes of the Christian life. Jesus is coming again. That's what kept the Apostle Paul going through thick and thin. That's why he rejoiced even in prison. He rejoiced in the Lord because he knew the, the return of the Lord was imminent. He could come at any moment. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 39 and, 29 and 30, Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. We are assured that the Christian church will remain in this earth until Jesus comes again. That's what Jesus said. Go out and tell the world that there is a Lord who is coming to reign on the earth, and I will be with you until the end of the age. We're assured that he will keep us here until our task is finished. We're assured that he will continue on in us and through us with strength and with courage to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it. We're assured that that gospel will be heard by those whom the Holy Spirit has prepared. And they will repent of sin and turn to Jesus Christ and claim him as Lord and Savior of their lives. We are assured that his kingdom will come and will expand here on the earth until that time when he draws our existence, the existence of this entire cosmos to an end. And we will be ushered in then to that great eternal kingdom to live with him and to reign with him forever. Do you have an Ebenezer established in your life? Is he the Lord Jesus Christ, your rock of help? When you look forward to the tomorrows, do you look with confidence and with hope, or do you look with fear and doubt? And question, dear friend, Jesus holds all of our tomorrows in his hands. And he holds us in his hands. We can be confident and we can be assured that the risen Christ, our rock of help, our Ebenezer, will deliver us to his kingdom to live and to reign with him forever. His resurrected life assures us of that victory. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.